Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name is Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee as we are coming to you from a Saturday afternoon this time. It is the, actually, I don't even know what the date is today. Once we get into Thanksgiving land. 25th. 25th. It is the 25th of November, and U of M OSU game has just concluded. So that seemed like a really good time to chat once again about all kinds of things. Obviously, there's a ton in college football land that we can talk about. Um, the Lions are legitimately something we could talk about. Um, and we'll also talk some basketball today, too, both college and pro. And we promise not to spend too much time on the Pistons, but uh, we'll spend some. We'll talk a little bit about the wrap-up of the season for the Tigers uh, really what the, the beginnings of the off season is probably a more accurate way of saying it. And um, we'll see what else comes up on this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. And since the most recent thing, and there's a recency bias, right, in journalism, a, uh, the most recent thing is the Wolverines uh, hung on to beat the Buckeyes in uh, – it was clearly one of the most important college football games of the year um, across all of college football. Um, Michigan wins 30-24. Um, that was um, about as close as these games come, and um, but a huge win for Michigan, nonetheless, particularly with Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. So uh, where do you want to start? And before we get into that, I just want to say just – for the record, I wanted out there that Steel Chambers is one of my all-time favorite athlete names. <laughs> just, just bar none. Pretty good. That's now that I have good. that off my chest, please, please continue. Chill, you know, Steel Chambers giving out the signs that Connor Stallions was stealing. Uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's an outstanding <laughs> sentence. <clears throat> yes. So, takeaways from the game. Brandon, really this is. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. It was a great game, I thought. I, yeah. You know, Ohio State clearly invested in some things that they needed to do better uh, on the defensive side of the ball. They played much, much better, and that's what tightened up the game. I think, you know, at the end of the day, simply Michigan ran the ball better, and they didn't turn the ball over. And that's a six-point difference right there. And so I, you know, it just, just happened, but I think this was a – Pretty important game for U of M in a lot of ways, I think. You know, we'll get into the, the scandal in a moment, but I think it's pretty clear had they lost this game that the wheels are going to come completely off the wagon, in my opinion, uh, that Harbaugh likely wouldn't return. He still may not, and, and the wheels still may come off the wagon, you know, given how much talent they're going to lose next offseason, whatever the situation is with him, whether he stays, whether he gets suspended for half a year, whatever the case may be. Uh, so I think it was a crossroads game for Michigan, and they did what they needed to do, and, you know, I think it's actually probably the last time we're going to see something like this. This has come up a lot in the coverage uh, with the way that the Big Ten has realigned. Um, this is probably going to happen twice a year if both programs stay, you know, relatively stable. And I don't know if either one will, actually. But they're probably going to end up playing twice every year. You know, we'll see how the, the Pac-10 teams come in. But if, if they go into this game again next year undefeated, they'll be immediately playing each other in the Big Ten championship game, which I think takes a little bit off of the moment, you know, and doesn't make it a true plus the seeding now and the 12 team playoff. So I think this one might have been the last of its kind. 
And so I think uh, really important for Michigan uh, to, to win. You know, Brian, you do make a, a great point, and, and we have yet to really get into the uh, on the show of changing landscape of, of college football. And I think uh, I, I've always been in the opinion that I, I prefer a lot less playoff because, again, a game like today really ultimately is is that that that, that brink, if you will, for both teams in their season. But I uh, obviously college football, NCAA, or uh, and I think to be more specific and correct, the conferences have decided that this is how, or at least the university good power schools have decided that this is the general direction that they're taking. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and as far as Michigan goes, uh, you know, I, I uh, watched the game today. I, I watched a decent amount of Michigan football this year. Um, and now that they've won, you know, now they, they'll go next week, they'll face Iowa. I, I would suspect that they should be able to beat Iowa pretty handedly. Uh, and then know, at that I've got point, like with the 84 49ers offense going, right? I mean, they're, they are an elite offensive squad. Uh, Maybe the 1929 San Francisco 49ers. I don't know. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I suspect it won't be much different than last year that they'll win handedly. And then it, what will be very interesting is one, what happens? Does Jim Harbaugh, can Jim Harbaugh even come back? Will he come back? That whole, you know, <laughs> the whole episode by itself, right? Secondly, after what they've done the last two seasons in the playoff, not looking very impressive. I do, you know, I'm very curious if they, this coaching staff and these players have figured out the, the, the key to going ahead and, and actually uh, executing in the playoff. Uh, but then, and, and unfortunately, I have no real inkling because quite honestly, and this, this is the case for both teams, Ohio State and Michigan, in, is that even after they face today, after I watched 60 minutes of football, I still don't know how good they are. And it, it could vary. I have to tell you, it's horrible. And at the same time, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> because I'm frustrated that I'm not able to get a real grasp as to how those teams are. I mean, I will admit, I I had a line on the Michigan for a look ahead for over a month of this game because I was convinced that Michigan was a way better team than Ohio State. And I have to tell you, I got lucky. I got I got lucky. It wasn't, you know, the biggest cash in the world, but I thought, oh, I'm getting ahead of this and I feel like I'm getting a great line. Hey, guess what? The line I got six weeks ago is the same line I'm going to got today, two minutes before the game. And that's where, I, that's where I'm looking forward to to – seeing what happens as we progress forward. Yeah, I, I think um, I think I want to say what I said last year leading up to the playoffs is just that styles make fights. And I said last year that I thought Ohio State would give Georgia a much harder time uh, than Michigan would just because of styles. And I think that's what's so up in the air about this year is who knows what you're going to get. I mean, there are so many different varieties of teams that are kind of circling, you know, the playoff this year. Like, I... I think what I what I can say is that Ohio State doesn't have the quarterback play to win a national championship, I, and uh, and it's not a knock on Kyle McCord. I, it just you know people made a whole lot more out of the Notre Dame. Uh oh, we lost audio. You're, you're cutting out, Brandon. Sorry, but 
But you know what? You go, let me pick up on that though. You think about McCord and and I think that the, when you're thinking about McCord and you're thinking about CJ Stroud last year, and I think CJ Stroud, his performance was uh, one of the classic cases of being maligned. And when you are looking at this year's performance, McCord, I'll tell you what, he improved immensely from the early part of the season where he took me off with his last-minute Notre Dame antics. But then even going forward, he, he even progressed as he walked through that, that Big Ten season. And and now you're getting to that point where – now, I, I don't remember, Brandon or, or Justin, I don't remember if we thought that there was a chance that Michigan and Ohio State could both be in the playoff after this game last season. I don't remember that. And and I'm and I don't necessarily remember how he led to it, but I think needs to say what I'm getting at is, boy, there's a whole lot more to go in terms of how we're proceeding here. So the point is that the Big Ten sucks. It's really bad, you know. And I think that is the that's the problem is that you just can't value. Like even last year, I thought the Big Ten was deeper and was better than it was. The, I just thought it was atrocious this year. I. You know, what's the irony of all of this is that the Pac-12 was, in my opinion, the most interesting college or excuse me, the most interesting conference of college football this year. I watched I cannot tell you how many Pac-12 games I watched this year between Oregon and Washington, Colorado and USC. And thank God they're coming to inject some life into this dead Big Ten. You know, I thought that U of M rightfully took flack for its non-conference schedule. It was absolutely horrendous. It was garbage. They should not be playing non-conference schedules like that. But once they got into the Big Ten season, everyone was like, you know, you're not playing anyone. It was like, well, is that their fault that Michigan State's, you know, is, is circling the drain of the toilet? Like, or that Indiana can't figure it out or that Wisconsin's garbage night? Even the teams that didn't play, they're just garbage. Purdue, Wisconsin, like these teams are terrible, you know? And so I think that puts both Ohio State and Michigan as a significant disadvantage going to the playoffs. I don't know what to expect, and I'm less optimistic than I was last year. I'll say that. You know what, Brandon, you talk about the Pac-10, and I think you, you bring up a, the, 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 a great example. One problem I have with the Pac-10 is no one really plays defense at, at all in, in that in, in that particular conference. And But we're even in a world where the SEC, I believe, is clearly a step below, um, you know, what they've been in the past from a total conference standpoint. And I, obviously as well, the UCC, uh, which had, you know, a, a little bit of a, a – a lift there with the, with Clemson play and whatnot, and now I mean, I you know they were kind of looking like maybe Florida State was going to put their stake in the ground, but uh, um, with them having uh, the quarterback uh, uh, injury there, uh, that that's probably I don't know. It'll be I, I will say we're recording this on Saturday. Florida Florida State will play later on. It, I'm very curious as to what happens in that particular game because I think that's an opportunity for them for Florida State to kind of reestablish themselves as a, um, uh, you know, as a playoff, uh, uh, you know, playoff team. Um, but, uh, yeah. So all of that said, uh, as you guys mentioned, obviously Iowa next week and more to follow after that. And all we can do is wait and see. Harbaugh will be back at some point, right? Is it next week? And he already do his three. Yeah, he did. This yeah, this was, was the, the last one, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, this was the third one, right? So he'll be back next week. Um, but it is worth at least on a very broad level mentioning again, as 
you guys have during the conversation that the future of the overall Michigan program is very, very much in question. Um, the the sign stealing controversy um, took a really interesting turn to me when Harbaugh and the university accepted the suspension. And it was it was a hard about face. They were literally going to court to get an injunction. And then it was like, whoopsie, nope, um, we're going to go ahead and accept this suspension. And then shortly thereafter, uh, linebacker coach uh, Chris Partridge was fired. Um, pretty clear evidence that he destroyed uh, computer equipment in order to hide whatever it is he didn't want people to see. Uh, additionally, uh, it's alleged that he was coaching players to not speak to investigators. Um, and this is the second time Harbaugh's been suspended this season. Um, this isn't a good look. Now, and don't get me started on NCAA things because we all know what road that was, but I don't know. I mean, if you're Michigan, you, if you're fans, and, and Lord knows, I mean, a booster was behind this scandal too. Do you just not care? And you're like, hey, give me some more, you know, we don't care. Um, whoever cheats the best wins. Or is it, nope, we got to do something different. I really don't know what the answer to that question is going to be. And what does the administration want? Oh. Well, my, my takeaway is that the administration is going to do whatever they can do to maintain the dollars coming in, right? Football no thing, and 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 I'm I'm not saying that like no one here knows that, right? But that that in the end is the, the most important thing. Saying that, I, I I think where this scandal, where this investigation kind of took a turn, is that as we we're putting together the details, because I quite honestly. I thought it was a bit of a witch hunt. And to your point, um, uh, Justin, you know, we're, we're, we have a, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in a group of thieves that are now all of a sudden making a point of, of highlighting a very, very specific case. But the challenge here was is that this particular team, this particular instance was so egregious and they went so over the top. If the allegations that are there out there and the, the evidence, you know, that you know, piece together the evidence. Uh, now, Big Ten and the NCAA, and really, if they're right about it, the university has to account for what did take place, and they're going to have to come together to figure out what they're going to do to remedy the the, the problem, while at the same time maintaining number one cash flow. And that's going to be where the uh, it's going to be quite a, a balance at to and and again will be very interesting to see how it all turns out. Uh, and the last thing I'll say though is that if you're Michigan and you're thinking about number one and you're thinking about uh, you know how you're going to deal with this appropriately and at the same time taking into consideration the big uh, the big uh, uh, changes coming to your conference that Brandon alluded to earlier with the addition of the Pac-10 teams, boy, I'll tell you what, it's it going to be a over-the-top daunting task. Yeah, and I think you, you make a really good point there, Adam, in that it's about 
the egregious nature of the offense, and it always is in sports. I mean, why teams in baseball, for as long as there's been baseball, have been trying to steal signs, right? What made the Astros situation, and to a lesser extent the Yankees and Red Sox, were not quite as vilified for it, but what made it so egregious was the fact that they were literally using cameras and guys giving signals from the bullpen. Like, it, it crossed a line. Um, stealing signs actually on the field of play is legal. Um, but using that outside help and technology is not. You know, there's, of course, the, the talk about Altuve having something underneath his jersey. I mean, so, so that's a certain level of egregiousness. And it's just like the steroids scandal. Folks have been using performance-enhancing drugs in baseball or work for a period of time. At some point, it got past the point of quote-unquote acceptable. You know, when Barry Bonds' hat size went from 8 to 38, that's when people were like, hey, this is probably a little too much. And it's all about how egregious something is. And, and that applies to, to everyday life as well. I mean, you, you can live in a gray area and not get caught or not be punished. Who knows? You step way out in front of everybody else, you're easy pickings. Just like if everybody on the freeway is going 80 and you're going 100, well, you're going to get caught nine times out of 10. And that's where we find ourselves. So we'll see. So, I mean, I still probably rather be in their situation than an MSU's situation. Um, I mean, that's just a dumpster fire. I don't know if you want to add anything else to that, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think a number of things can be true at the same time. I think it's true that this is a pretty archaic and silly rule uh, that has no bearing to reality of the NFL, right? I mean, everyone signals in through their helmets, so you're not preparing these kids for, you know, what they're going to face. I think it's likely true that a fair number of schools have different ways that they try to do this, some in, in different areas of gray, but it's also true that I think it's pretty clear that they cheated and they should be punished for it. I mean, and, you know, I'm going to go a little bit a different way on Harbaugh, and I think that the team and he should mutually move on. I think he should go coach Chicago or whatever, or uh, uh, particularly if I draft DJ Moore again next year, he should definitely go coach Chicago. Um, so, no, I, I just, I actually think it's time for them to move on and for him to move on, you know, and that will put them at an immediate disadvantage in a number of ways. Uh, one being that ideally you start your coaching search right now. Right. And, you know, things aren't going to play out for them likely unless something goes terribly wrong with Iowa for another 60 days. You know, and that does put them behind the behind the eight ball because there's going to be the Texas A&M job, uh, potentially a few other pretty nice ones. Michigan State just scooped up a nice coach. We can talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, I, I think I, I do think I still do think it was a bit of a witch hunt. I the only thing that I really had disdain for was the Big Ten coaches leaking uh, that meeting that they had with the conference president, um, you know, basically getting up on their high horse, which I think is just absolutely absurd. Uh, that some of these coaches in these programs would do that. You, I mean, Michigan could have handed over their playbook to 90% of the Big Ten, and they still wouldn't have beat Michigan this year because they're garbage. They're just trash. Penn State and OSU are the only two teams that have any kind of legitimate gripe 
about competitive advantage because the rest of the conference is just pure trash. Michigan could have beat Michigan State this year with eight players on the field. Like, who cares? Go away. So that, that's my that's my summative comments. If Maharba does stay, I think he's out for at least half the next year. Like, I think a, a heavy, heavy suspension is coming his way from the NCAA. Shifting over to Michigan State real quick, they hired Jonathan Smith, uh, Oregon State head coach, to take over the program there. Uh, thoughts on that? I think Jonathan Smith, I, I, one, I, I think it was going to be very daunting for Michigan State to go out and get the right guy, right? Uh, and, and, and based on the who's available and, and whatnot, I think Jonathan Smith um, uh, from Oregon State is a really solid choice, right? Are there going to be some challenges? Yeah, he doesn't necessarily, he's never really recruited in the Midwest, so that will be challenging. Um, secondly, is that I think uh, he's a guy who, <clears throat> you know, when, 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 when you really think about it, uh, not very familiar with the Big Ten, you know, and, and, and whatnot. But saying all that, he he really did, I thought, I watched some Oregon State football this uh, <laughs> this year. They were straight up exciting. Uh, and they they should have won last week against Washington uh, and a little bit, but it been coaching there. Um, but in general, I think he took a program that probably is extremely challenging to win at, and he made them very exciting and very competitive. And there's something to be said for those two things, right? And I think for Michigan State, that's what you want, right? You want someone who's going to come in and understand how they're going to make the most out of what they've got on the field. And I, I would imagine, too, if you have recruits, they've been walking to Oregon State or they're, they're aware of Jonathan Smith, that might be a real kudo right there, so... Yeah, I think it's a it's a really, really solid hire. They were very exciting. I mean, they have four losses, but, I mean, three of those losses came on the road against teams that were ranked then or are ranked now. You know, Washington being the best of them, but Washington State, Arizona, who they lost. And they lost by, like, a combined eight points across all three of those games. So, I mean, they, they played some really good football this year. I think we, we lifted up, you know, the obvious things that are going to make his start, I think, a bit slower. I think this is someone who's going to need a couple of years. Um, but the one thing I will say, he's going to have a lot more resources uh, than he had in, in Oregon State. I th- people don't realize that MSU does have like a top 25 program when it comes to resources. And they'll have come and they'll be recouping many, many millions uh, from the Tucker uh, from the Tucker fiasco. So we'll see how much they, you know, how much he gets paid. But I think it's a good hire. But I think state fans should temper their early expectations, I think. Could be a couple of years, but he everything points to that this is a really good hire for them. And I'm really happy that they went outside of the program, past, present, future, whatever, and just hired someone that had nothing to do with D'Antonio, nothing to do, certainly nothing to do with Mel Tucker or whatever. Like just a truly external hire, I think is very good for them. I totally agree. It just seemed like a very sensible hire. And, and better than some of the other, like the El- Mike Elko and some of those other guys, like just very, like, eh, very hit or miss other candidates, you know? No, and I think the other thing, too, we had talked about this before uh, in our last show. It was important, at least as far as I'm concerned, to, to go out and get a head coach, someone that had been a head coach and had built the program, right? And my concern was they were going to go out and get a, uh, a coordinator or something of that variety. 
And I, in all honesty, I think the Michigan State Athletic Administration did a fantastic job of working through this. Yeah, a good point. Also, a young guy, a guy who can stick around and build a program. Um, I, I just think all of that makes a lot of sense. And interesting that they were able to lure him away from his alma mater. I mean, been there for six years, played there four years. So obviously, the you know he he was compensated uh, accordingly. I'm sure uh, to get him to move. And obviously, I'm sure he sees opportunity as well. To your point, Brandon, about having the resources that. Yeah. a college like Michigan State can throw out the football field. Yeah, so. and he is going to continue. I mean, he is going to bring one competitive advantage in this because he's going to be very familiar with the Pac-12 teams uh, that are entering okay. the conference, you know. And yeah. I wonder if he's going to bring his quarterback with him. I believe he's he would be eligible. Um, yeah. So, you know, there could be a – it's happened a couple times this, uh, this past season. They've brought their quarterbacks with them. So they certainly need one. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see when uh, when we hit uh, the big 55 or whatever it's going to be next season. Um, we'll see how things roll out. But in the meantime, anything else college football-wise? Otherwise, I was going to shift over to... Uh, Feel free right. to shift. All right. Very good. Um, so Lions and Turkey Day. Uh, well, Lions are often turkeys on Turkey Day. Um not a good, not a good performance. Um, and so what this all comes down to um, is, we, we can talk about the particulars of the game, but I, I think that the biggest question, if you're a Lions fan at this point is, same old Lions? Or was this just one of those games that you just, you shake off, every team has them, and you move on with life? You know, I was given that question that question a lot of thought in the last day, especially since I knew we were doing the show. And I, I have to tell you, I, I have nothing to offer. And I'm not going to, you know, um, because on one side, this is a team that went, I think, at some point 16-4 and four in the last 20 games leading into that. G- guys, at some point, you, you've got to come back down on earth a little bit, right? I mean, it, it, this has been an unreal run for any NFL team, let alone the Lions for heaven's sakes. Um, when you specifically go look at the game on, on, uh, on Thursday against the, the Packers, you know, they've been able to compensate throughout the season. You know, their offense isn't clicking, their defense comes with big plays for their special teams. Uh, or, or you know, there's some coaching decisions. You know, you know, really understanding where they're at. Um, Thursday was a classic example where absolutely no one compensated for anyone. There was bad coaching decisions. Um, there was horrible execution on the, the uh, uh, part of uh, Jared Goff. The defense was sieves. Uh, the wide receivers are having a tough time getting open. Um, it, it just the, the, there was nothing to take away from that game that you could feel good about, and that's where now the bad news is that's what took place. The good news is that they got ten days. They go up against the Saints, and the, the, the schedule is still extremely manageable down the stretch. But saying all that, I I'm again, it's just like talking about Michigan football. I'm very curious how this turns out because right now I. I had nothing good to take away from that game. And especially after the Chicago Bears performance and this defense is looking so 
not good. And and honestly, you know, the other problem guys I have, I, I know everyone loves Ben Johnson, but there are times that Ben Johnson, I don't know what he's doing playing call, uh, with play calling. And you drafted the guy in Gibbs. And uh, guys, at some point, you got to start getting Gibbs 20, 20 uh, uh, touches a game. And you need to figure out how to get the ball more to James Williams because, in all honesty, it seems like he's open, but golf isn't seeing him. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's same old Lions. I think what it is is a team that is being exposed as flawed. I mean, they're just flawed. I, and that's okay. I, I mean, all, most teams in football are flawed, right? You know, the Eagles look pretty invincible at the moment, but they have weaknesses too. But like, most teams in football have something right now where it's like, oh, well, like like Kansas City, like there's no one to throw to. Like that's a problem. Like, you know, so I think what you're seeing is a is the combination of, you know, them coming down to earth, which they're gonna do. They were not going to win. I, I always thought the ceiling for them was 14 wins. I still think it's possible, uh, probably unlikely. Um, but that's all fine. But I think what you are seeing is something that should be concerning. Uh, and that is one, you know, the turnovers. I mean, the, the easiest way to lose a playoff game is to not defend the pass and turn the ball over. So they're on the right track there if they want to get bounced, you know, in the in the wild card. Um, but I'm just very concerned with Fields and Jordan Love being the two quarterbacks that are picking them apart. Like, you know, this the conversation five weeks ago was that the NFC North had the worst quarterback play in football, you know, <laughs> amongst those two teams, right? You know, particularly Fields hit rock bottom. Love started off real slow. Um, so concerned about that. And then the turnovers are just crazy. Um, you just can't. I mean, Bob just got to gotta get it together. Otherwise, they're going to get they're going to get wiped out. Uh, yeah. But I don't but I don't think it's the same old Lions. I think they've got they've got a lot of talent. I think, you know, Adam alluded to the young guys. I think they do need to get them the ball more. Um, you know, I'll 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 leave my my normal fetching about their draft choices and just say that they those two guys are really talented and they should get them the ball more. Um, but thank you for throwing a last second touchdown to Josh Reynolds. Appreciate that. Very <laughs> might have helped with a uh, a wager. <clears throat> Well, there was there was only one way for uh, things to go, and they found that way. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't know how good they are, and I think I guess the last thing I would say is the Baltimore game. You know, like, ouch. Um, yeah, you know, I think if if Chandler Jones and uh, and Travis Kelsey are healthy, they probably don't beat the Chiefs. Um, you know, lost a stinker to the Seahawks. You know, there's just some there's some iffy. There's some iffy games in there, and again, it's going to be who do they get, what's the matchup they get, you know, how healthy are they, and I, I just don't think we're going to know anything until late December. I really don't. Yeah, and, and I think there's a couple, two main takeaways I took from the game, one being um, the Lions' offensive line in terms of pass protection was god-awful. Um Goff was constantly chased all game long. He was hurried all game long and granted him waving the football around like, you know, here, please come bat this out of my hand. <laughs> Not helpful. Um, but he also had no shot on a couple of those, to, to be honest. And um, that was really concerning. Obviously, injuries have something to do with that. And always an issue in football um, is depth. Um, but then the other takeaway I really had from this was I really felt like the Lions were outcoached in that game. Um, and, and probably two weeks in a row, 
Um, and, and the play that really sticks out to me, and I mentioned this uh, to Brandon when when he came over for Thanksgiving dinner, is um, you know is is the counter bootleg to the to the weak side that Love ran, and it was set up like your normal kind of off tackle run to the strong side, and then he just bootlegged, and there was no one even in the remote vicinity. Um, on the weak side, and uh, there was one guy who was blocked. I mean, it was ridiculous. To me, that's a coaching failure. Clearly, they saw a weakness in your scheme and exploited it. And I felt like they were doing that quite regularly. And that's why the quarterbacks the last two weeks have carved them up, is because there are deficiencies in their scheme. Now, I'm sure there's some talent things too going on there, but a mediocre quarterback can tear apart a good defense with good coaching. And it it that's what it looks like to me, you know, the, the untrained eye, but just lots of little things, the way the Packers were stunting and twisting all game long on the front four, just Little stuff like that, that, but here, here's the thing. This is a great time for the Lions to lose a game like this. This is a fabulous time for this to happen because there's plenty of season left. Dan Campbell is not going to be like, oh, gosh, darn it. I mean, Lord knows he's incapable of being called. So the Lions have the opportunity to fix things. They have the opportunity, 10 days as mentioned, to get healthier. They have the opportunity to rethink things from a scheme perspective. Goff has some time to shake off the bad games, and I'm hoping it doesn't get in his head, you know, because he's turned the ball over just himself six six times in the last two games, I believe. And this was a good time for it. I mean, national TV, perhaps not a great time. <laughs> but if you're going to blow a game like this, that was the one to do it. Pick your head up and go back out there. And far be it for me to be the optimist about the Lions, but this is just reality as I see it. I, a couple things I'll say to that. One, I think that, uh, in my opinion, the talent – on that uh, on that defense is so limited. I mean, they're they are for sure bottom ten in the league from a sheer defensive talent standpoint. Part of that is because Brad Holmes has simply not invested much from a draft pick standpoint into that defense. And the little bit that they've done, I mean, like Josh Pascal uh, was a second round draft pick uh, and probably a little bit risky. Um, you know, the the Again, um, they've made some really good draft picks, but still I would say that on the defense, they're probably limited to maybe three guys, four, that would be like starters in any other um, uh, you know, team defense, right? Uh, secondly, the, the most concerning thing in my mind that has happened uh, has been the uh, their strength of their teams, the offensive line, and they have not played very well 
the last two games. And I don't know what Hank Fraley has to do to correct that problem. And I know the big problem probably is Jordan Jackson hasn't played in a while. I, I don't know when he's going to be coming back, but I will, I, I really, and of course, Taylor Decker was not very good on, on Thursday. Um, they've got to figure out what's going on and ensure that up. And I think if they are able to do that and get that unit being the best unit that they have on that team, that'll go a long way in terms of correcting this particular problem. Yeah, and I think not to look ahead too far, but when you think about who their opposition would be in a playoff game, you know, you think about Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia all have pretty dynamic pass rushes. Uh, all can get downfield and, and create a lot of disruption. So something to definitely be concerned about uh, for them. Yeah, if that line doesn't hold up, they don't have a prayer. Um, yeah, and I think Ragnow missed part of that game too. Um, I know he came in with a toe injury, and he was down um, for a bit. I don't know how much of the game he missed, but that didn't help matters either. So... Any uh, last Lions thoughts or anything else on the NFL that you wanted to? Yeah, I'll just go to Adam's show notes real quickly here because I think it's important for it to be said is that I have not, I cannot remember an NFL season with worse quarterback play. It's disgusting. It makes the games almost unwatchable. Like, I don't even know who you want at this point. Like, CJ Stroud. Like, I, I mean, I, you just watch these games and one, the level of talent that's going out on the field is despicable. Um, I just I cannot believe how bad the quarterback play in this league has gotten. You know, particularly for me, whose NFL watching really started in the late '90s. You know, mid to late '90s with with uh, with Manning, eventually Brady, and then there's just a succession of like ho- incredible Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And now it's Sam Howell and Will Levis and Kenny Pickett and Mac Jones and. Josh Dobbs is a revelation. Like, I, I don't know. He's on a practice squad for like eight years and he's like the fourth best quarterback in the league. I don't know. Derek Carr's on like Quaalude. Sam Ritter can't hit a barn if he was three feet in front of it. Like, I, it's just atrocious. It's atrocious. Brock Purdy, like, <laughs> Justin, I got nothing to add. Uh, I, I put it in. He took it and he ran <laughs> with it and he did a great job with it. So, yeah, he really took it to the house. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, Josh Allen sucks this year. Like, I, it's just it's it's gross. No, I mean it's, and, and there's no improvement coming. You know, I talked to someone last week, and he said, you know, and I mean he hasn't done anything particularly that exciting this year, though he makes some awesome throws today. But you know, the, the assumption is that JJ McCarthy can probably be a top five pick, and he will be a very good player in in this league. Well, yeah, and, and and yeah, yeah. I mean, I and and that that's you know, and 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 now, I mean, how silly does the NFL look complaining and and to the world about CJ Stroud and he, you know, he's not a smart person and all this stuff and whatever. Boy, he, he looks pretty darn good in a league that starved the quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, yikes! I mean, the throws he's making are insane. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, he, he is an absolute force and uh, he will continue to be uh, on a team that certainly has righted their ship. Right. I mean, and, and the thought, you know, even at the draft was, oh, they're probably going to have one more bad year and then they'll probably start, you know, getting into it. Well, they you know, they go out, they get Stroud by far, the best quarterback to come out. Um, 
you know, and then secondly, and then, you know, on the other side, um, you know, they got Will Anderson and Will Anderson is already being double teamed. So um, that's incredible. It really just shows you, uh, uh, you know, if you pick the right players, that it'll go a long way. So, yeah. Tommy DeVito, I could go on. That's okay. I have to watch Mac Jones and Tommy DeVito play tomorrow. It's like it's like waterboarding. I got it. Anyway. It's just atrocious. How do you really feel? Baker Mayfield's like close to leading the league in yards. I I, 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 <laughs> I can just keep going, I can just keep going up and down this list. I mean, you want to talk about as you as you say this, I'm looking at Milro from Alabama. And he throws the ball after going five yards past the line of scrimmage. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so yeah. normally I, I would take something like this and just the grossness and what have you, the situation, and segue right into the Pistons because um, that seems really appropriate. But I don't want to do that because I want to talk college basketball first, just for everyone's sake. Um, and Talking about um, our alma mater, Oakland University, off to very reasonable start. Um, they've been off uh, visiting various people's offshore bank accounts in the Cayman Islands and playing some basketball there. And actually a couple of really nice wins uh, in their last couple of games in the Caymans. And, you know, when I was when I was looking at the team this year and looking at the uh, info for the first few games there was one thing that kind of jumped out to me and adam you had mentioned this in your pre-show notes as well is there's actually a little bit depth on this team it's they're not playing six guys uh, that's a little different it's kind of nice to see well i think you, you combine depth with guys like townsend and locks who's yeah i i would depend on brandon to tell me where they will rank within the, you know, within the conference. But my, my takeaway is that when, when you're seeing uh, what, you know, what they're able to do night after night and be able to get a rest. So there's hope for consistency there. Um, boy, I, I can almost say, Hey, I'm kind of excited. And, you know, they're, you know, they're big non-conference games. They were very competitive. They were very competitive in, in those games. Um, and at the same time, they haven't gone around and scheduled a whole bunch of them who they get completely drubbed before going into the con- you know uh, conference schedule. Um, it really they, they seem like they're you know there's some small changes and some good recruiting and and I'm I'm again very curious to see what the results will be once they kind of get underway within the conference. Yeah, I um. I, I arguably think they, they could have and should have beaten Ohio State, um, which would have been a tremendous victory for them. They were in the game with Illinois until about six or seven minutes left. Uh, they could have also beaten Drake. Uh, that was a very, very interesting game. Uh, and then, you know, just picked up and handled business against, you know, comparable teams and other, you know, lower mid-major teams and just looked good. And and the depth showed up. And a couple things I'm excited about. Uh, the first is they have unclogged the backcourt. 
Uh, to me, it was just a mess last year between Moore and Watts and even Lampman and who's who's carrying the ball. And, you know, you had two guards out on the floor and Watts and, and, and Moore that could not shoot well from three, uh, which is not a good thing in, in the current game. And now they've got, you know, this this the transfer uh, from, I believe, Hillsdale or Hope. I can't remember. I always get those two confused goalkey. And he can just jack the ball up. Like he's going to just keep them in games because he's like a Travis Bader style shooter. Like he's going to get hot. He's going to hit crazy long three pointers. Um, and so they've got they they got an inside out game. They got a good ball handler. Uh, Campy's patience with Chris Conway, I think, is starting to pay dividends. And I yes. cannot understate how important it is that they have Townsend and Conway playing well. Townsend, we know what we're going to get. Very much a Jalen Hayes guy, who was an anchor for many of those teams, even though there were more talented guys. Uh, you know, the K Felders and, and Walkers of the world, but Jalen Hayes was actually like a very stable part of that, very similar game to Townsend. Uh, but to have like a 6'9, 6'10 guy alongside Townsend in, in the Horizon League, like that gives you some options. So they're going to match up very well in the league. Um, you know, I always want to a really nice start. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's almost scored 20 points the other game. Like, I mean, that's you know, this is somebody that was you know, rebound and try not to foul the first two years of his career, basically. And and for him to be a legitimate scoring option, I think there there's you know reason to be pretty optimistic about the team. They've got a couple of test games, you know, uh, I think they got Eastern, a couple other teams that are, you know, <laughs> in the Mac or other conferences. And it'll be interesting to see how they show up. But um, yeah, I think they're gonna be fun this year, because I think they're gonna, their, their shooting is going to keep them in a lot more games this year than in, in the previous few years. I need to have a guy like Golki on the team because having that pure sort of long shooter, I mean, that's something that's been a hallmark of campy teams. Um, and they really haven't had that, uh, at least the last couple of years. And I don't know. It just, I think that's part of the fun factor. Like there's just going to be times when they decide to just start throwing bombs from everywhere. And every now and again, that works really well. And it's it's kind of fun. Ink can lead to upsets. Um, so Xavier is who they're playing on Sunday, um, and they'll be you know, at Xavier, uh, and then they'll actually be playing um, Detroit Mercy after that. So uh, getting a conference game out of the way um, fairly early on before then Toledo, EMU, MSU, so on and so forth. Um, so definitely some difficult games on the horizon, but I think. It's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of all of that. Uh, and it will be a, a great test for the team going into the season. One game I'm really interested in is their game against Dayton, uh, which is a little bit later on. I think that'll be a really interesting game, a team that kind of sits in between like a Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and a Xavier or MSU. Uh, you know, those are, the Xavier game can be very tough. You know, Xavier just, you know, wiped out St. Mary's a couple games ago. They have a loss against Purdue, you know, which, you know, they're going to be tough. And obviously Michigan State's going to present some challenges, but very curious about the game against Toledo and very curious about against the game about, against Aiden. You know, that's going to that's gonna tell a lot about what the ceiling is of the team early on in the year, at least. Any other takeaways? No. No, just looking forward to seeing how this all turns out, so. On uh, a side note, um, in college basketball, Bobby Knight passed away uh, in between our uh, recording of these shows. Um, the name I had 
heard or thought of quite a while um and whose terrific successes were definitely overshadowed by his uh his negative qualities if you will um yep despite his proficiency for chair throwing and what have you um oh, probably, probably the most notable thing one i think probably is arguably the second best uh, basketball coach, uh, be, uh, John Wooden, uh, when you think about just the totality of career and whatnot, um, maybe Dean, Dean, you know, maybe third to Dean Smith or something of that variety, right? So, so that's the, the, the one thing. You're de- the, just the legacy, the, maybe, uh, you know, the most interesting factoid is the fact that he had two assistant coaches at Army, one was Myshashevsky, the other one was Bill Parcells. So his coaching tree is pretty darn good, right? So uh, into sports, of course. So, um, but uh, no, and and to your point, uh, everybody has an opinion about Bobby Knight, and that's fine. But but regardless, uh, he he was very good at coaching uh, the um, you know his uh, Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, went down to Texas then for a bit. And of course, uh, if you look up on YouTube, there's some money he has about coaching the uh, Olympic team head or so. Um, uh, and uh, they fared pretty well there. So that was that. Okay, so I guess we'll uh, we'll get to the Pistons now and NBA basketball and all that good stuff. Um, so fun fact, the World Series champion Texas Rangers have won three games since the Pistons last won a game. That's my fun fact to start off this uh segment as we are post Thanksgiving um no bueno <laughs> I mean look every time we've talked about the Pistons since the end of last season it's all been about okay what is the strategy here what is Trey Weaver trying to do we don't see the strategy um so on and so forth and here we are with a whole lot of not good Kate Cunningham, obviously having him back is a plus. Statistically speaking, he's put up some very nice numbers, although he hasn't looked it. Um, and then there are some definite deficiencies in his game. But on the other hand, there's really nobody else around him who's really doing much of anything. Some injuries, you know, Bogdanovich hasn't played yet. Um, but I just I was looking at the roster just to refresh my memory earlier. And just you look at all these first round draft picks, and it's like, oh, that's right, he was a first round. Oh boy, his stats don't look good. Um, I, I, what do you do with this? Yeah, I, I mean, at some point you have to blow it up, uh, and and part of that is Troy Weaver. Thank you for your participation, um, but you're no longer needed here. Um, the 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 challenge though is that you have to have people in the organization that, that understand that, that they need to do that. And I, I don't think this ownership has that capacity. Um, I don't think the people that report to ownership have that capacity. Um, but yeah, the bottom line is you don't have a very good general manager uh, and you have a collection of players who just, and Brandon, how many times have we done, even not just since last season, but for the last three, two seasons, well, two seasons, last season, and even the season before, trying to figure out 
what it is that they're doing with the roster and these different players that they bring in. When in the meantime, guys like Tyrus Halliburton got traded. Um, then you had uh, Devontae Murray in, in Atlanta uh, that got traded from San Antonio. Um, you know, you, you bonus traded out to Sacramento. Uh, you had different players that were available, and then there's guys that, that, that were available uh, in, in the draft and everything. It's just, I, I don't know, the left and the right are just not talking, and, and the result is just an awful team that I, I see no hope. Yeah, historically bad. You know, I think it's reasonable that they could be completely winless at this point. I mean, you know, they did beat Chicago, which is another team that's imploding as we speak. And the Hornets, you know, uh, barely a, a sports franchise. Uh, those are their two wins. Uh, and then they've pretty much been blown out of every other game they've been in. Um, and, you know, they even lost to the Nuggets, who didn't have their coach or, you know, the best player in the world. Uh, during that game, they also didn't have their second best player. Uh, Murray was out, too, and they still lost. Uh, pretty convincingly. So, yep. Uh, blow it up. Fire Weaver. Train, I would consider trading Cunningham uh, and trading every anyone and anyone else they can. I mean, I, I just, I don't even know how to make sense of this roster. I like Jalen Duran a bit. He don't build around a guy like him, but I like him. Um, I think one of Ivy or Cunningham will probably have to go. Uh, and at this point, the goal is simple, and that's to amass draft capital uh, underneath a a better a better general manager and, frankly, a better front office. Uh, and it's just to accumulate as many draft picks as they can at this point. And they do have some guys that, you know, I think would have value uh, and could gain, you know, good picks uh, if they move. And a guy like a, an Isaiah Stewart could fetch them something at this point in time. Obviously, Cade, you know, coming up on a rookie extension would be a very, you know, sought after uh, a trade acquisition. I don't think they're going to trade him. I, I just think they should. Um, you know, with Ivy, if they actually let him play, he could he could play himself into being, you know, a highly coveted draft pick. Um, and even the kid they just drafted, Thompson, I would, I would consider trading him too. Um, because he could fit right into a playoff team that needs another uh, d- defense, a really good defensive player, young guy with length that can rebound the ball. Um, but you know, he's not going to turn into, you know, an offensive wizard here or anything like that. So I think they've got to go all the way down to the foundation, all the way down to the bottom and, and literally consider all possible moves. I think Oscar Thompson has then, been, uh, has been a pleasant, right. But I think he's come out and done as well as you could expect. Yeah. And yeah. as a first year player has been very solid. For that, Adam, go ahead. I'll say it again. I said it on past shows. But I'll say it again. This team, above anything else, needs an owner that cares and and knows what they're doing as far as owning a, an NBA basketball team. And I don't know. At some point, even maybe the league gets involved. I don't know. But but something something that drastic is what is really required in order to move on from here. So, and then and then just get rid of the dead weight. Give up. You lost. Bagley, it's got to go. Wiseman's got to go. Right. Well, Killian Hayes probably got to go. Like, just just give up. Like, it's, it didn't work. It's not going to work. Like, move on. Yes. No, I, 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 I yes, it's time to blow it up. And I, I think the worst part about it, and, and Justin, even in Justin's little fact at the beginning, we're, we're now at Thanksgiving, and this season will go on for another six months. 
or, or I don't know, five, five months. And I mean, we should have known it. I mean, everyone should have known it needed to be imploded last year. And but then there was this great hope of Cade coming back. Maybe he would be the difference. And I, I think I think he's a really nice player. I really do. I think he's a, a really nice player. But, but he's no one to build around, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and the and the crappy thing for them is that next year's draft is atrocious. So you know, even slow securing another top pick isn't going to get him much. So. Mm-hmm. Woof. Unwatchable. So, moving over uh, from one puzzling front office to another, um, we'll move over to the Detroit Tigers, although I wouldn't put them in Pistons territory. Uh, But certainly, there's um, some puzzling things. And again, we've talked about this on prior shows. Um, But talking a little bit about the Tigers and you know, ending the season, of course, saw the Rangers win in a super exciting MLB playoffs. Um, more of that, please. Somehow the games weren't ruined when they went into extra innings and didn't have a ghost runner, um, which was crazy. Um, so if we could just get rid of the clown car rule, that'd be lovely. In any case, speaking of the Tigers themselves, um, Scott Harris's failure is now complete. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez opted out. And look, Harris may go on and the Tigers may win a World Series and he might be a second coming. This was a failure on his part. Plain, simple, all day, every day. Either needed to trade him or know that you were going to decide him. Beyond that... When the Tigers had the opportunity to negotiate with him, they offered him exactly what his option was. Not one more year, not one more dollar. And Harris said this in a press conference. There was no way. I mean, if he turned down the option, why on earth would he accept the same contract? So what you were saying effectively was we didn't value him at anything more than what he was at. And so we were okay with letting him go. And if that's the way you felt about him, why the hell didn't you trade him to somebody? Again, this is what perplexes me. And even though we don't have it on, you know, high authority confirmed from the teams, but his asking price was one more year at 20 million, which when you look at, what free pitchers are going to get this offseason was an absolute bargain. Now, would it have worked? I don't know. You never know with this stuff. But I just, it just, it's, it's, you had an asset and you chose to piss it away. And I don't understand it. I just don't. I, but whatever. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I thought some other very interesting moves. Right around. Well, Adam, did you want to weigh in on the Rodriguez? I'll throw in this. I'm, I'll be very curious what he does say for a contract because mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I'm still not convinced he'll even get the the money that he was going to get in the extension, and even what the Tigers were offering him. 
because I think there's a lot of things around Eduardo Rodriguez that are concerning. And even the, the, the way he managed, even the way he managed that trade deadline was poor. And I, you know, between the absence last season and, 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 you know, he does, he has a bit of an injury history. I'm very curious if he does make that money. And when you think about his, I believe his agent is Scott Boris. And I wonder if Scott Boris has sold him a bill of goods that may not be achievable. I don't know. I, I It's something to watch. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so a couple other interesting moves uh, for the Tigers. Uh, one that was a bit of a head scratcher, although I think I understand what was going on. Um, at the postseason press conference, uh, one of the things that Harris said is that he anticipated Spencer Turnbull competing for a spot in the rotation next year, uh, and then they not tendered him. Um, like, hmm, that's interesting. And maybe he was just trying to dra- drive up trade value because he was trying to trade Turnbull. No one was interested. And it ultimately came out afterwards that Turnbull had requested a trade when the Tigers tried to option him the first time and he had the injury and he was trying to force their hand by refusing to play uh, in Toledo uh, after they did option him the second time and has actually gone back and said he was actually hurt that time too. So Tigers are like goodbye, good riddance, which I, I don't blame them for. Um, they also did not tender Austin Meadows, which we did expect. Uh, again, given that circumstance, unfortunately, that was really the only choice they had. Um, still disappointed they lost Tyler Alexander. Um, it just, again, these are the things that baffle me a little bit. They put him on waivers, which is fine. I mean, they made a decision to put him on waivers, and he got claimed by Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, fine. But they talked about while he was on waivers. Well, we're really hoping he passes waivers because we want him back. We want we're going to invite him to spring training camp. Blah blah blah. Okay, he gets taken, and then they take three other guys, take him off the forty man roster, and don't even offer him minor league contracts. So if you've got guys that you know you don't even want back in the minors, why wouldn't you let them go first? Like, like Garrett Hill or. Brian, uh, Brian Hannafy, and um, I forget who the third one was. Like, if you know they're not coming back, wouldn't you let them go first and try to hang on to a guy that at least you're interested in? And the only logical reason for that is because they were trying to get out of paying Alexander. He would have made about $1.9 million in arbitration. And it just, again, goes back to the how closely are they counting their pennies right now? Because uh, that's disturbing if that either they're dumb or they're counting pennies i actually lean toward the counting pennies one on this particular one um i i don't know but again it just puzzles me as to what's going on i don't know you definitely get a little bit of the smartest guy in the room syndrome going you know and i think no question it'll be um you know, left to history, whether he, he is a smart guy or he's another, you know, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, um, you know, that think they're these geniuses that come from successful franchises and show up and get absolutely bombed and run out of the league um, thereafter. So I, 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 you know, I kind of place this a little bit, you know, in the same 
camp as with Troy Weaver last year. You know, very different situations that they're in, right? Like his his seat is not hot and it's not going to be for a while, but he's got to do something. Um, he's got to make a move. Uh, it's got to be significant. Uh, might have to be a trade as well as free agency. Um, but I just hard to understand. You know, um, you know they're kicking the tires pretty hard of Meta right now, who's four years older and just as injury prone as Erod and and is a righty. And I'm just like, okay, like he's a good pitcher. You know, he's, I think he had Tommy John a couple of years ago. So maybe he's got a little bit more juice. He's got a good fastball, you know, when his elbow didn't fall off, you know, but it's just like, you know, I mentioned this to Justin on Thanksgiving, you know, Eugenio Suarez, you know, who just was in our organization, who we traded for Alfredo Simone and his, you know, 15 ERA or whatever um, for a year. Like he was just picked up for nothing. We probably could have got him for Tyler Alexander. $11 million cap hit this year, $15 million club option next year. A young reliever who has basically barely played in the majors and a backup catcher for a guy that could hit 25 to 30 home runs and provide a lot of protection in that lineup. And fill a need at third base. Not a great defensive third baseman at this point in his career, but certainly would be an above average third baseman. Uh, compared to what they've got now, and they just let it go by. And you know, now Suarez is going to join the defending champions and probably hit 35 home runs next year, and they could have got him for nothing, basically. And it's just like those moves are the things that go by where I'm just like, you had a defined need, you had a reasonable price point, you had a willing trade partner, and you just, like, did you, did you try to give him our third best reliever? And so, like, I mean, what, what kind of, you wonder, what kind of games, were they even in it, one? And two, if they were... You know, were they playing games with who they were going to go up? So, no, they weren't in it because Suarez does not fit the profile of the player they want. Yeah, because he hits. So, <laughs> I can see how that's a challenge. That's fine. Andy Ibanez is available. Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing. They're going to take Andy Ibanez over Eugenio Suarez because Ibanez has back control and a good eye for the zone. And Suarez, I mean, he can put it back into the the the, the holder really well. Um, he's, he is, out. he's, his control when he gets the, the bat. bat yeah. The holder. It's really impressive. And, and I think, again, well, I think the, the, go ahead, Adam. I, I think the thing with Suarez is that you know, that batting average is so horrendous. It doesn't matter. In this league, it doesn't matter anymore. That's not a thing that we can. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I just wonder with this front office, if it does matter, I don't. I, I, Quite likely, I yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, so oh, what what did I? I lost my thought on something there. Well, it just flittered away from me. Um, one thing that I do think is interesting, though, is that they are putting some time and energy and attention into not on the field things they're doing. And we we talked about this a little bit the last time doing another clubhouse overhaul. They're going to do a big overhaul again at Lakeland, which just happened not that long ago, 10, 15 years, certainly within the last. Um, And then they went out and hired Jason Benetti. And um, that was quite a move. Uh, And they, and the Tigers hired him directly. Typically the TV announcers are hired by the network uh, and the radio announcers are hired by the club. Uh, they actually hired him by the club largely because starting 2025, it is extremely unlikely Valley sports will continue to carry uh, baseball or exist. Um, or exist. Um, 
as they continue to work through their uh, bankruptcy filings and fight all of the fights that they have going on right now. Um, but but a terrific pickup, a terrific announcer, exactly the kind. Again, it's not an on the field thing, but it is a quality of life thing for Tiger fans, and I have great appreciation for quality of life improvements made by the organization. So I liked, I really did like that. Now, if they can fix some of the speakers in Comerica Park, that'd be great. Yeah, it was a home run hire. I mean, like this guy, I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm not super familiar with him calling baseball. Not a, I'm not an avid follower of the Chicago White Sox, uh, not unless, you know, paid huge sums of money. Um <laughs> Talk about a franchise in the toilet. Um, but, you know, I'm actually more familiar with his basketball and more recently his, his football calls. He's unbelievable. A lot of fun, really engaging, uh, know, knows his stuff, and just uh, just a really pleasant surprise uh, for them. And, you know, I heard they're throwing a bunch of money into Lakeland now, too. So somewhat encouraging signs, you know, uh, you know enough to, you know, keep the keep the faithful at least, you know, wanting a little bit more and, and – you know, again, it'll come down to can they can they do anything with this free agency? And if they can, combining with these moves, which are are substantial, right? You know, you know, rebooting Lakeland, another clubhouse upgrade, getting a real like a top ten like sports announcer. Um, but they've gotta they've gotta make it happen on the field too. And if they do, then there could be a fair bit of enthusiasm for this team uh, come spring. Oh no question. But here's the other thing that I did want to bring up was. It was reported, and I and I do forget which uh, source came out with it, but but um, I don't know if it was Evan Woodbury or it was one of the beat guys though uh, for the Tigers did come out and say the Tigers have said at least internally they do not plan on making any more uh, bat acquisitions in the off significant bat acquisitions in the off season. So obviously they're definitely looking for pitching. That much is, is very much clear, um, but they're going to kind of run with what they got from the hitting side. And while Mark Canha is a very nice pickup, um, I don't know who's going to play third base. Yeah. I mean, you got to I think the challenge this year was the free agent backs are really terrible, right? So they're not I, great. I just they're. I mean, your best option is Lord Gloriel, and and I mean, I I bet you if we filled up Comerica with forty five thousand people and we asked forty five thousand people, they know who Lord Gloriel is, uh, you'd be lucky to find a home. So um, of the forty five thousand, right? And it's just it, it's just bad timing, and this is where. In my estimation, you need to go out and make a, a trade. You have a good amount of arms that are in your system, and you need to make use of them at this point to bring in. And I don't care if it's a uh, Nick Castellanos. You know, and again, I don't know if Nick would go absolutely no way by going back there or whatever. How that work? I I don't know, but. There, you've got to actually go out and make a trade in order to bring in another competent bat in this lineup. Because watching this team last year and someone saying that they don't need a bat, 
and Mark Anha is going to go ahead and, and fulfill whatever it is that may be a shortcoming. Uh, no, I, I can't. I can't hear that. So please don't. Yeah, but you know, I still remain optimistic. I mean, it's devastating to hear that because, yeah, they don't have like there's not a a bat in free agency that you're going to build around. Like they're, they're, none of those guys exist. But like, go overpay Martinez. Go overpay Jorge Solar. You know, who certainly destroyed them plenty of times in his career. Go get one of those guys. I mean, yeah, you're going to pay through the teeth. You're going to pay him, you know, twenty million over a couple of years. But they can hit, and you need you need a DH. You don't have one, and I. I don't know who's going to play in the outfield either. You know, Canha, I guess you could turn him into an everyday guy. We pull, you know, can Green stay healthy? And then who else you got? Parker Meadows. Um, Badu, right? Badu. Two guys that have not proven they can be everyday MLB players. Um, certainly Badu can be a platoon player on this team. I Hard to imagine that he somehow flips the switch. And becomes, you know, a 30-80 guy, a 30-90 guy at this point. Meadows is young. There's going to be a regression. You know, it's just yeah. if you don't have bats in the outfield and you don't have bats at, at, at third base. It's like, well, geez, like, you know, I think can the offense come from. Yeah, I, I think the outfield could be fine if the infield were short up because I could see, you know, left field being a platoon between Badu and Veerling and center field being green and right field being Carpenter and Canha with the other one DH. Yeah. Like, that's a very reasonable outfield. It's not going to set the world on fire, but it is a legitimate. Yeah. Major League Baseball outfield. But then you have literally Nick Maton playing third base, right? And Andy Ibanez at second base, Javi Baez at shortstop, which Lord only First knows. baseball, you know. Right. So and Lord, Lord only knows what you're going to get out of him. And then Torque at first. That's, that's worrisome on the infield offensively. Now, Baez is able to find himself again and he apparently is not going back home in the off season. He is staying in the States to work out, has gotten various coaches, trainers, etc. because he was embarrassed by the season, which rightfully he should be. Um, so I'm glad to see that, that he's taking it seriously. Like, Hey, I'm going to earn my money here, but you still have just, just gaping holes on the team. And yes, Malloy is on the cusp. And yes, Colt Keith is on the cusp. And Jay Stroon had a, a masterful season in double A. Uh, but I, I can't count on these guys to come up and be immediately successful in the major leagues. They're just not at that point yet. Um, maybe we'll never be at that point and they have to be brought in slowly. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. What's going to happen? I, I wonder how much of it is their confidence in what they have in minors. And and you know, I might have dropped out and joined back in. But I I wonder, you know, and one of the disappointments was we didn't see a lot of these guys come up during the um, September. But that was because Toledo was in play, uh, minor league playoffs, right? Um, and I, just, I wonder if that's one of those where um, they believe that some of those guys are ahead of schedule. Uh, and, and that they'll be able to go ahead and be excellent contributors uh, as as we go, um, you know, and, and progress. I don't know. I, again, I, I'll say it for the millionth time, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. I hope it's not true. I, I hope they do go and, and, 
and, you know, pick up, you know, at least one more bat, uh, um, you know, a very formidable one. But we'll we'll see how this all shakes out. So with that said, I think that pretty well wraps it up uh, for this edition of the Sports Emporium. I'm sure we'll talk some Red Wings next time around with the consistency of a roller coaster, um, but a lot of fun to watch, uh, generally speaking. Um, we'll, we'll be deeper into uh, the offseason. Baseball, obviously, we'll have a much better idea of what's going on in college football, college basketball just a lot more in front of us, the Lions, all that other good stuff. We can talk more about the Pistons then too, if you would like. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll see what else, uh, see what else is happening, but I'm sure we'll do one more of these before the Christmas break and uh, year end and all that good stuff. So with that said, for Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee, my name is Justin Lee. And thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium.